Good evening, everyone. Why don't you please stand? We're going to have the reading of God's word, and then we'll get into the sermon for this evening. Our reading comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 14, and this is verses 12 through 14. Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. This is the word of the Lord, and you may be seated this evening. Welcome to Grace Community Church. Uh, it's great to see everyone. I'm Steve Shepherdly, one of the pastors here at the downtown church. If this is your first night with us, we'd really like to give you a special welcome. Say we're really glad that you've chosen to worship with us on this brisk, cool evening. We are getting ready to do church kind of like Halloween, autumn style. And so hold on, everybody. It's going to get even more interesting over the next several weeks. We're trying to think of some creative ideas, uh, maybe like a tailgate weekend where people wear their favorite sports paraphernalia, lots of blankets and things like that. Some of you beat us to the punch with your blankets already. But uh, watch for those announcements in, in the weeks ahead. How many of you would say, as Bo kind of mentioned here in worship, uh, you're kind of tired of 2020. Let me ask it a different way. How many of you, on a scale of 0 to 10, would say your hope meter right now is five or below? How many of you would say your hope meter is somewhere like seven and below? How many of you would say I'm a solid 10? I am a solid 10. <laughs> Not a lot of hands on the solid 10, uh, especially after this last week. Uh, did anyone get a chance to watch the presidential debate? Was that a source of sure hope this week? How it unfolded? I, as I was watching, uh, first of all, it was the first time our son was old enough to actually watch a debate. He was four years old last time, and so clearly wasn't able to sit there and really watch much. But he was involved this time, and we weren't even five minutes in, and he was, like, getting emotionally, like, troubled. <laughs> so we're like, well, maybe this isn't the first foray for a debate for our son. So uh, Mindy took him to put him to sleep for the night. But I just kept thinking to myself this line uh, from Horton Here's a Who, the, the cartoon version, anyone a fan, with Jim Carrey. And Jim Carrey's in this fight as some of the animals are coming after him and they're throwing banana peels at him. And in slow motion, he says in this wonderful, terrible Russian accent, I fear the political process is beginning to break down. I just kept thinking of that line. At that moment, I was, I was watching the debate. We can struggle with hope these days. And when we hear this passage, Jesus is talking with the disciples here in John 14. He's talking with the disciples um, on the night that he was about to be arrested, on the night when he would eventually uh, then be delivered over to the hands of the authorities and ultimately be arrested uh, and then crucified. On this night when Jesus is with his disciples, he's kind of having this very intimate discussion with them and wanting to explain what's about to come. He's wanting to give them a bit of a roadmap of what to expect in the days ahead with his death, his burial, then his resurrection, and even his ascension. The last days of Jesus' life and ministry on earth, he doesn't have a whole lot of time left. And in this crucial moment with his disciples, he's wanting to give them some really crucial instructions. And he says here in John 14, verses 12 through 14, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. When we hear about great works, greater works, we hear about greatness, there are some assumptions we can have. Today, our culture, a common assumption that we have is that great things depend upon us. That if great things are going to happen, it depends upon you, it depends upon me, it depends on us as humans. 
to get them done. We often are tempted to think of ourselves as the source of great things. Charles Taylor is one of today's most preeminent philosophers. He's written a book called A Secular Age. And one of the quotes in the book, he says, today we have a sense of power, of capacity, and being able to order our world and ourselves being able to order our world and ourselves. What Taylor's talking about is that over the last several hundred years, we've seen the rise of so much development in Western culture, so many achievements in terms of using rational thought, research, investigation, understanding the world. We know so many things these days, and we're able to get so much done that we start to have this sense of power, of capacity as humans, that we can order the world, we can order ourselves. If great things are going to happen, it's going to depend upon us because we're actually quite capable and feel like that capacity has been grown over the last several hundred years. But as we start to focus on our capacities, what we can do, whether societally or as cultures or as individuals, as we start to focus on our creating, our making, our doing, our thoughts, as we start to focus on that, God begins to recede into the background God becomes a little less important. We tend to lean upon God a little less. We become larger in our eyes, and God becomes a bit smaller in our eyes. Now, it's not to say that human thinking, reasoning, and and research, and all of these things are bad. In fact, God has given us these capacities to think, to study the world that he's made, and, and to be wise and to develop wise ways of going about life that make life better, that make us uh, healthier. There are a lot of things that God has wired into us, a lot of gifts he's given us to be able to think about the world in order to make things better. So this is a gift from God. And aren't you glad for that? Uh, I was playing racquetball about 10 years ago, had this terrible accident. I ran into a guy and uh, it killed a tooth. My nerve was dying in the tooth, and I didn't really realize what was going on, but this pain was growing. It kept getting worse. I finally went to the doctor, and they said, maybe you have like TMJ, you know, some jaw trouble. But they're like, why don't you go to your dentist and check it out? Went to my dentist, and he said, yeah, your tooth is dead. Um, But come back in a few days, and we'll take care of it. I don't have time for you. So I went back to my house, and the pain just kept getting worse and worse and worse. It was so unbearable. I finally called the dentist, and I said, do you have a slot for me anywhere? Because I need this tooth taken care of. They said, come on in. He gave me a shot, and I didn't feel a lick of pain after that. And I was about to kiss my dentist. It was so amazing to have this sense of relief. And so thank God that he's gifted us to be able to think, to create, and to innovate to make life better. But as we think about our abilities and our doing and our our, our wisdom and our knowledge over time, we can start to elevate it a bit too much. We can get to a point where we so elevate our thoughts, elevate our capacities, that we stop trusting God. We hardly think about God. God starts to be kind of pushed to the margins of life. God is what you appeal to when things just get a little too hard. Then you pull out God card, and you kind of play that card in the game of life. Maybe God is there in the margins or in the gaps of life that we can't understand or can't explain. And it's not just that secular people deal with this. Religious people can deal with this. In the the 1300s, uh, England had a plague that that swept through. The Church of England's response to plague was to call for fasting and to call for prayer. But in the 1990s, when AIDS becomes a major issue, the Church of England calls largely for funding for medical research. Not that that's bad, but where's the prayer on top of that? 
Where's the call for funding for research and call for prayer and fasting? It shows that even as religious people, we can start focusing on our doing to such an extent that we stop trusting God. We stop looking to God. And it lands us in a dilemma. While we expect greatness from ourselves, our hopes are often dashed because we keep discovering over and over again and again that we are not as capable, not as able, and certainly not as good as we thought. History shows that we're not as good and not as capable as sometimes we're tempted to believe. Zadie Smith is a fiction writer, an award-winning fiction writer, and she recently said this, one of the things citizenship teaches you over the long stretch is that there is no perfectibility in human affairs. This fact, it's still obscure to the 21-year-old, but it's a little clearer to the woman of 41. What she's saying is in her life experience when she was 20, she thought, man, if we could just think about things, if we could really kind of uh, get together and uh, put some good thoughts together, maybe we could perfect human affairs. But she says, I'm a little older now. In my 40s, I realize, you know what? It's not possible. I've been around life too long, been a citizen long enough to see how peoples interact. She says, perfectibility is not something that we can attain. So where does that leave us? We have these hopes for greatness, and we're tempted many times to think that we are the source of greatness, and yet life keeps showing us our limitations, that we have feet of clay. Speaking of feet, I'm going to trip over this, this cable here. I'm going to shift. Not politically, I'm just shifting here. Don't read into it. You're like, stage right? Or what are we talking about here? Uh, which way is he shifting? I'm not going to tell you. So uh, where does that leave us? These longings for hope and what we can accomplish and how great we can be? We, we have these high expectations, but then also life shows us that we're still uh, frail, we're still limited, we're still finite. And we kind of are left wandering in between hope and despair, hope and optimism and frustration. Some days on those optimistic days, we wake up and we're all Leslie Nope, right? Like unstoppable force, uh, no bad day for Leslie Nope. She's just going to go uh, tackle life and never be kind of discouraged So there are optimistic days when we trust what we can do in our own lives or what we can accomplish as a culture or societies. But then there's realistic days where we feel crushed. We feel really, really frustrated and even fearful by our own limitations or the limitations of our cultures and societies. The more we expect of ourselves and of others, the more we are disappointed when we inevitably fail or when others fail. So as we look at this text in John 14, Jesus wants to remind us that there's great work to be done. There is great work to be done, but ultimately there are two things. First of all, he has accomplished the greatest work. And then the work that he would have us to do, he has us to do great work, but it's got to be powered by him. It has to be done in his strength, has to come as he is at work in us. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this chance to be together. And we just thank you for your word. We thank you for your word that shows us who you are. And we also thank you, Lord God, for all that you've done, that you've come to save sinners, you've come to redeem sinners, you've come to remake the world. And we thank you, Lord God, that we have a place in that by grace. Lord, we pray that you would also show us that you've not only saved us by grace, but you have a purpose for us, that you would have us to live and to do work that shines a light on you. Use our lives, be glorified, and may more people know you, and may you be glorified in all this. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's look at John 14. When Jesus talks about these good works, again, in John 14, verse 12, he says, those who believe in me will do great works. But let's look at the context of John 14. What are the other things John has to say, or Jesus has to say that help us to understand his language about us doing great things? First of all, 
question comes up, who prepares a place for us in God's kingdom? It's Jesus. Who prepares a place for us in God's kingdom? Jesus does that. This is John 14, verses 1 through 3. You can follow along in your sermon notes. They're on the same uh, page of the website where we found our lyrics for tonight. Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. So Jesus wants to tell the disciples, uh, he's going to prepare a place for them. By that, he means uh, heaven. And what heaven really means is that ultimately, Jesus is going to remake a new heavens and a new earth. It's Jesus who goes to prepare this place. It's not us. It's not humans. Jesus makes possible this heavenly eternal kingdom, which is a, a whole new creation. This world, even amplified to even greater heights of goodness and greatness, is God, through Jesus, makes a new heavens and a new earth. And Jesus goes to prepare this place. This is a beautiful world. How many of you enjoyed looking at the moon this week and maybe even get a a look at Mars? It was tremendous. And we stand in awe at the beauty of the world. It's beautiful to see God's handiwork on display. But that's his broken version of the world. We know what the brokenness of this world feels like. Jesus goes to prepare a place for us in a new creation, a new heavens and a new earth, which is completely beautiful. It's whole, it's peaceful, everything works. It's a place of thriving and vibrance and goodness that Jesus prepares for us. So Jesus goes to prepare a place for us in God's kingdom. But then there's a second question. Well, how do we get in to God's kingdom? And the answer is through Jesus. So Jesus prepares the place for us. But Jesus is also the way into that place. John 14, verses 4 through 7. Jesus says, and you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas, one of the disciples, said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So Jesus not only prepares a place for us, but Jesus is the way into that place. Jesus makes a way for us to be able to enjoy eternity with God the Father. It's a place of perfection. It's a place where we are face-to-face with God the Father. And in his immense holiness, sin cannot stand. But yet we're all sinners. We can't go into his presence. But what does God do? God provides Jesus so that we can be washed of our sins, we can be made righteous, and we can enjoy a place in God's kingdom. When you and I don't deserve a place in that kingdom, God in his love has sent his son Jesus to take away our sin and to remove our unrighteousness and to give us his righteousness so we can stand in his presence and stand in his kingdom and enjoy that. So Jesus prepares a place for us in God's kingdom. It's Jesus who is the way into God's kingdom. And then thirdly, It's Jesus who helps us to know the Father and the Lord of the kingdom. It's through Jesus that we know the Father. John 14, verses 8 through 11, Philip says to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe in me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me or else believe on account of the works themselves. So Jesus puts us in touch with the Father. Our sin makes it impossible for us to stand in God's presence. 
And because of that, we're separated from our heavenly father, the one who's made us. He's knit us in our mother's wombs. He knows us. He knows our very lives. And yet we are alienated from him. We find our truest home with God, our creator and our maker. And we long to be near him. And yet sin puts this gap between us and our heavenly father. We are alienated from him, distant from him. And yet Jesus comes to make the father known and even makes it possible for us to enjoy the presence of God the father. So, so far, who's doing all the work in John 14? It's it's Jesus. Jesus goes to prepare a place for us. Then Jesus makes a way for us to be in the kingdom. Jesus is the one who makes the Father known. So when finally we hit John 14, verses 12 through 14, where Jesus says, whoever believes in me will do great works, and even greater works than I've done he will do. We have to read that in context of Jesus already doing these amazing works. All of this work. Is it really about us? Is it really about our power, our strength, and what we can conjure up? Or is it about his power at work in us? think in the context here, it's really clear. It's about his power at work in us. John 14 verses 12 through 14. Let's read it again. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the father. In the context of John 14, we're reminded that while Jesus tells his disciples, and this includes us, whoever believes in in Jesus, so if you believe in Jesus, this applies to you, whoever believes in him will do great works. What's clear is that Jesus is the source of the greatness of these works. Those who believe in Jesus are a conduit or a vessel for these works. Conduit or a vessel, but they're not the source of the greatness of these works. The source of the greatness comes from God and comes from Jesus. So what's God's plan for the church? God's plan for the church, that's the title of tonight's sermon, God's plan for the church. His plan is that we would do great things. His plan is that those who believe in him would do great works. But I think the first thing that we need to understand is that Christ has done a great work for us. We have to understand, before we think about the great things that that we would do, We have to remember the great work that Christ has done for us. And it's really good news. In a world where we can sometimes be tempted to trust that greatness comes from ourselves, that greatness comes from us as a culture or society, and we start to fall into despair when we feel like, you know what, I just feel like we keep missing greatness. In fact, we keep hitting a lot of negative things in our time. We can take take comfort in the fact that Jesus has come to do a great work that we could never do. If you're not a Christian, I'd invite you to consider all that God has made possible for you in Jesus. That in Jesus, God wants you to have eternal life. Because of Jesus, he sent Jesus so that you can know God as your father. You can be adopted into his family. Because of Jesus, you can have joy, joy unspeakable and full of glory. He wants you to experience that because of what Jesus has done. And I invite you to place your faith in Christ tonight, confess your sins to him, and receive all of the good things he wants to give you, greatness, great joy, great peace, great hope. And it's hope not of your doing. It's hope not of my doing. On days when I focus on myself and what I've accomplished in my life, what I hope to do, I'm actually more in despair than I am. On days when I recognize my brokenness and my fallenness, when I recognize my brokenness and my weakness and I embrace it in those days and say, that's who I am. It's not the accomplishments that I want to assume are really true of myself, and that defines me. When I really take 
strong focus and take seriously all my failures, all my weaknesses. It's on those days that I'm reminded I am not defined by my failures, by my sins, by my past, by my current struggles. I'm defined by the grace of God in Christ Jesus. And so are you if you've placed your faith in Jesus. You are defined by his grace and you're made a saint. He transforms you. He makes you his own child. So I'd invite you to place your faith in Jesus and experience that tonight. Experience that with him. And for Christians, if you're in a season where you're overwhelmed by human failures or faults, whether that's things like last week's debate or your own failures this last week or even today, take joy in what Jesus has accomplished for you by grace. Who knows where things are headed this year or next year, but by grace you are headed to eternity. Who knows what's going to happen over the next four, eight, ten years, a hundred years. Who knows? If you've placed your faith in Jesus, if you're following Jesus, your eternity is bound up with him in glory. That is your future. And that is your hope. Take joy in that, in the great work that Christ has done for us. But secondly, what is God's plan for his church? He wants us to do great, he wants to do great works through us. He wants to do great works through you. But how is this possible? It's very clear in the context of John that greatness doesn't come from us. It doesn't come from me. It comes from God's power working through us. So how do we experience this power? Over the next several weeks, we're going to talk about this. John lays out a lot of this in the gospel because Jesus lays it out. So what does Jesus talk about? First of all, he says in John 14 verse 12, those who believe in him will do great works. So the great works come because they, people have believed in Jesus. They have faith in who Jesus is. They trust this Lord and they believe that Jesus is able to accomplish much. They believe in Jesus. Secondly, John says in John uh, 14 uh, verse 13, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. We tap into God's power as we pray. Greatness comes as we take our prayers to the Lord and God through prayer, accomplishes many, many things. So uh, how do we tap into power? First of all, it's by believing in Jesus, knowing that he is the source of all power. It's also by praying, praying to God, praying in Jesus' name. It's also by staying sensitive to the Holy Spirit and trusting the Holy Spirit. John 14, verses 15 through 31, we'll have sermons about this in the next several weeks. Jesus says when he goes to the Father, he's going to send the Spirit, and the Spirit will guide the church into truth and will remind everything of all that Jesus said. The Spirit will also convict the world of sin and unrighteousness. When Jesus says you'll do great works, he doesn't send you out without being equipped. He says, believe in me, pray and pray in Jesus' name, and also trust that the Spirit is at work. Know that the Spirit is at work. Sometimes when you want to do a good work, you know, one of those things is sharing the gospel, the good news with somebody. Have you ever felt intimidated to share the good news because you feel like, I just can't quite get it right? I haven't gotten my story down just yet, or I don't know how to say the right words to share the gospel because you feel like you just got to get it right. And every time you think about sharing your faith, you have this fear and you have this sense, I don't think I have it right enough to, to do that, to share my faith. I've felt that way in my life. But if we remember, if we know that the Spirit is active, the Spirit's at work in the world, it's not all up to us. Sometimes you just have to open your mouth, and God will use stumbling words at times. And as the Spirit is at work, a person's heart has already been prepared. They just need a nudge. They don't need a whole big long speech. They just need a little word. 
And you might be that person with your tongue that doesn't feel prepared. You give them that little word, but the Spirit's already been at work, and God makes much out of that moment. It comes from trusting him, knowing that he's at work. He will do great things. He will empower our small deeds and turn them into great works because he's at work in his world. It also comes by abiding in Christ. So we believe in Jesus, have faith in him. We know our God, and that's where great works come from. It comes from prayer. It comes from trusting and being sensitive to the spirit, but it also comes by abiding in Christ. John 15, verses one through 17, well, I have a whole sermon about this, talks about knowing the commands of Jesus and abiding in his commands, doing what he said we should do. There's power that comes from staying connected to the power source staying connected to the power source. And that comes by believing in Jesus, having faith in Jesus, being a people of prayer, committed to prayer, being a people who trust the spirit and who are sensitive to the spirit's leading and people who abide in Christ, who are in the word, who know what Jesus said, who know what Jesus taught and who trust what Jesus taught. And as we stay connected to him, abiding in him, sensitive to the spirit, being led by the spirit, being people of prayer, people of faith, God can use us. In spite of ourselves, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be polished. God can work his power through you because it's his power that's ultimately at work. But he calls us to be an abiding people, to be a people who trust him and are sensitive to the spirit and follow the leading of the spirit, a people of prayer and a people of faith. And so as we do this, what's, what's the purpose of these works? What's the whole point? The point of these works is that they will point to Jesus God would have us to do works, not so that everyone would look at us and say, hey, that was really great. What you did was really great. The point of these works is that they ultimately shine a light on Jesus. They're like a sign that point away from ourselves and point to Jesus. Some of these things are like loving one another. Jesus says, the world will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. It comes in this very conversation Jesus has with the disciples. And so the way we love one another actually points to Jesus and the way that Jesus has loved the Father and then the way Jesus has loved us. Our love for one another should be like a signpost that points to Jesus. But in the same way, when you pray and you see a, a miracle happen, God does something supernatural. Even in those moments, it's shining a light on Jesus and on his power and not on our great faith or our great prayer, how eloquent we are at prayer. It shines a light on him, that he is the Lord of the universe. He is the savior and he's at work. He is God in the flesh who can do mighty, mighty deeds. It's him. These deeds point to him. These works ultimately point to him so that people would trust him. More people would trust him and more people would place their faith in him. So God wants us to stay connected to the power source so that he can work works through us that ultimately shine a light on Jesus and invite more people to trust him. As we close tonight, I want you to think about the early church. The early church, there were people who were not super strong. They were not super capable. They didn't have a lot of power, and they didn't have a lot of institutional authority. These weren't people with massive, massive purses. These weren't people with huge finances. They didn't have a military, no political authority. The church had very, very little power. People who are fishermen, people who are tax collectors, people who are somewhat despised. And yet God used these people to turn the world upside down. As they trusted God, they had faith in Jesus. They're people of prayer. I need you to sit down, Sam. I need you to sit down, buddy. People of prayer. And then also people of uh, trust in God. People who are uh, sensitive to the spirit and abiding in Christ.
What happened in the early church? In the early church, one thing that happened was that uh, you've got all these Christians and Rome is starting to become suspicious of Christians because Christians believe in Jesus. They don't believe in Caesar. Caesar is not their, their Lord, their King. And so as they're placing their, their faith in Jesus, people are starting, to, Rome's getting concerned. Are, are people going to stop trusting Caesar? Is their faith, is their trust in Caesar or is their faith and trust in Jesus? What happens is these Christians say, our faith is in Jesus. We're not here to start political insurrection, but the emperors viewed it as insurrection. Don't, don't you place faith in Caesar? Isn't Caesar your Lord? Well, no, he's not our Lord. We worship Jesus. And so the political rulers of the day saw this as a political threat. And so they were in a place of wanting to start to suppress the church. And as the church is filling the suppression, there are waves of persecution that come and waves of persecution that go. Ultimately, Christians are faced with the decision, either you worship the Roman gods and you obey Caesar or we will put you to death. These Christians say, I have faith in Jesus. I have faith that Jesus will take me home. I have faith that Jesus will take me into a glorious eternity. I have faith that Jesus has died for my sins. My allegiance is to him. And as Christians place their faith in him and are taken to the animals into the arenas and are, and are chewed up and are consumed and die willingly die because they have such faith in Jesus, all of a sudden, Rome is trying to suppress people's faith in Jesus, but Rome says, look at the faith of these Christians. Their God must be real. Their Jesus must be real. And so Rome is trying to suppress their faith, and all the while, as people of no power, of no authority, are placing their faith in Jesus, standing firm in him and trusting him, these great works are happening, even in the moments of their death, and it causes more Romans to say, I need to know about this Jesus. Who is this God that gives you such great hope? And in a time when the church has very little power, the church is being actively suppressed, the church is growing. That is the power of God at work in our weakness, but it displays his power. God calls us to be a people where he can work in and through us for his glory. So it requires us, though, to stay connected to him. The early church was a people of prayer and staying connected to the Lord, and he invites us to do the same. So tonight, as we close, I'd like to invite you, as a church, we're going to move into a 40-day campaign of prayer. How many of you were a part of the first 40-day uh, campaign of prayer? We're going to add a second one to that, a second campaign of prayer. So if you'd like to be involved in that, please text 40, that's 40 more, 40 more to the number 94253. 40 more to the number 94253. So I ask you to pull out your phone if you want to do that. Uh, Victoria should remind you at the end of the service about that as well. And then so uh, that's a way that you can be involved in that prayer. We're going to encourage everyone to pray, to pray for 40 days, but also to consider fasting. There are several things that you can fast. You can fast food, not eat fast food. <laughs> You can fast from food, uh, but we're also encouraging people to think about fasting from social media. So that's coming up. Lord, we just want to thank you for this day. We thank you for your goodness. And we thank you for the, the fact that you have done so much for us. Lord, we thank you that you've saved us by grace. We thank you, Lord God, that you've sent Jesus to take us to the new heavens and the new earth. We thank you that that's possible not because of us, but because of what you've done for us. We thank you that you've united us to the Father. We are adopted into his family. We also thank you, Lord God, that you give us purpose in this life. We pray that you would use us for good deeds and good works. 
We pray, Lord God, that you would accomplish much through us as we stay connected to you. Help us to be a people who abide in you. Lord, we pray that you would help us to be a people who are people of faith, who know you and know what you've done. Help us to be a people, Lord God, who are sensitive to the Spirit and led by the Spirit. And we pray, Lord God, as we take small steps to try and do your work, that you would empower it and you would make much of it. And we pray that people would know you and more and more people would place their faith in you and have joy that comes only from you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.